Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show I'm Michaela Stubbs As we approach the COP28 United Nations Climate Change Conference That starts in Dubai on November 30 the nuclear industry continues to promote itself as climate-friendly in a massive and well-funded distraction from effective action to address the climate catastrophe. Don't Nuke the Climate, a global civil society initiative with members and supporters from environment, First Nation, trade union, faith, public health and other sectors, has produced two videos calling on national governments and the global community to embrace and adopt safer, cheaper, faster and more deployable renewable power technologies. Civil society calls for a non-nuclear response to the pressing issues of climate change comes as the new scale small modular reactor SMR program in the US has collapsed due to massive cost and time overruns. Today, we'll bring you some of the speeches from Don't Nuke the Climate's launch event of two short videos covering the topics of nuclear and climate change and small modular reactors. We'll hear coordinator of the Friends of the Earth Melbourne's Nuclear Free Collective, Sana Deswat, as MC, introducing guests Tim Judson from the Nuclear Information and Research Service, Mia Pepper from Nuclear Free WA, and Ryoko Kose from Fukushima in Japan. I would like to acknowledge that I'm talking from stolen, unceded Indigenous land here, a land of the Kulin Nation in Nam, in so-called Australia. I would like to acknowledge that First Nations people have been the caretakers of the land, the rivers, the seas and the skies for countless generations. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging, and I want to extend that to pay my respects to any First Nations people that are with us today. First Nations communities have been on, at the front lines of the terrible impacts of the nuclear industry, both in Australia and internationally. In Australia, this includes the suffering caused by the British atomic nuclear bombs, bomb tests seven decades ago, um, as well as uranium mining and the push to impose a nuclear waste dump on several communities uh, on Aboriginal lands in the last 26 years. I also want to extend my heartfelt compassion and solidarity with people suffering the horrors of military oppression today. In the world and remind ourselves of the immense impact um, that warfare has on the environment and anything within it. And from a nuclear dimension, it is extremely concerning that several nuclear nations are engaged in warfare as we speak and the dangerous repercussions that can have um, for the millennia to come. My name is Sana Desvart. I am part of Friends of the Earth Nuclear Free Collective. And um, I will be emceeing today. We've got our special guests, um, Tim Judson, um, Jim Green, Ryoko Kose. Tim is going to give an overview of what Don't Nuke the Climate is as an organization or an, our network and the objectives and reasons that we made these videos. Tim Judson is the executive director of the Nuclear Information and Research Service. NRS and leads its work on nuclear energy and climate change issues. He has worked on nuclear safety, radioactive waste and energy policy for over 25 years 
and has written several reports on nuclear subsidies and sustainable energy. He lives in Syracuse in New York, 30 miles from three re reactors, and has served as a union organizer, labor researcher, and policy analyst. He also serves on the board of Citizen Awareness Network, a grassroots organization involved in closing four reactors in New England, and he's the co-founder of the Alliance of a Green for a Green Economy in New York, which works to phase for the phase out of nuclear power and fossil fuels and a just, equitable, democratic trans transition to 100% renewable energy. The floor is yours, Tim. Great, thank you, Sana, and for all the wise words that you introduced us with. And as point of introduction, I, I do live in Syracuse, New York, um, which is on unceded Onondaga Nation land, um, where these three nuclear reactors are also located. Uh, so my organization, NEARS, uh, we are one of the founding organizations of the Don't Need the Climate Coalition, which was founded um, at the you know early on in the in the in the climate in, in the global climate negotiation process back in the year 2000. When it became clear that COP six was going to be the was was going to be the scene of a lot of promotion of nuclear as a solution to climate change um, by the same countries that are the bad actors in the in, in you know in, in the climate space to this day, and so uh, we've been um, we've been mobilizing for the for the climate conferences um, since two thousand. Um, increasingly, over the last several years, as we've seen, a, you know, a really, um, really enhanced presence of the nuclear industry at the COP forums, and that included, for instance, um, over a hundred nuclear industry people were badged participants of COP 27 last year in Egypt, and we've been anticipating um, an, an increased further presence of the nuclear industry. Um, uh, at COP28, and not only um, you know because of this trend, but also because um, this this COP is being is being held in the United Arab Emirates, which is the first uh, nation on the on the Arabian Peninsula to adopt nuclear energy, and the U.S. and China and Russia and many of the other major nuclear nations are attempting to enter into deals to export nuclear technology uh, to nations both in the Middle East and in North Africa and around the world. Um, essentially, you know, as part of um, you know, their, uh, you know, an agenda of promoting false solutions to the climate crisis for purposes that have nothing to do with actually reducing um, the impacts of climate change and resolving the climate crisis, um, but for other, you know, economic and geopolitical purposes um, that are really counter to the entire process of how we're going to solve this this tremendous global problem. Um, what we have what we have known for a very long time is that the nuclear and the fossil fuel and fossil fuel industries are intimately intertwined. They benefit from one another, and the promotion of nuclear power um, within the climate process has been a way to actually defer acting on climate in the ways that we know are going to be effective, which is through a global transition to 100% renewable energy. Um, you know, nuclear power itself is, as we say, uh, too dirty, too dangerous, too expensive, and too slow to be a legitimate climate solution. Um, and that has to do with, with the impacts of the nuclear fuel chain from uranium mining through nuclear power plants and nuclear power plant disasters to the dumping of radioactive waste that still 70 and 80 years into the nuclear age has no solution. Um, what we've seen in the last few days um, is actually underlines all of these points. Uh, the first being that um, last week, um, a 
uh, a nuclear project in the U.S. was canceled, which had been widely promoted for years as a sign that the nuclear industry is about to make a revival and to become a true partner in the, in the fight against climate change. Um, there is a proposal by a company called NuScale that was that was developing what they call small modular reactors, which you'll hear about in a little bit in a little bit later. Um, that was supposed to be, um, you know, the first example of how the how nuclear power could be done quickly and affordably. Um, and on schedule. And in fact, what we've seen happening for years is that is that this project itself was already failing, um, going uh, way over budget even before they've even started construction. And last week, um, the project was canceled um, summarily after um, after a, a, a Wall Street investment analyst report, which predicted the company was about to go out of business. Um, the nuclear industry is trying to spin this as though it's you know it's just a, it's just a small setback. But in fact, this is this is a sign that the same problems that nuclear energy has faced for decades, with unaffordable costs and, and unpredictability in terms of the ability to even complete projects, um, has you know has has moved forward. Well, but what also underlines our concerns about what's going to happen in Dubai at COP28 was 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 news reports today um, out of the Bloomberg uh, News Service that the US and the UK are planning um, a, a, to, to launch a multinational push for nuclear energy, uh, ex global massive expansion of nuclear energy at COP28 um, with a bunch of with, which a bunch of with a bunch of other nuclear nations and other and other partners. Um, they which which would call for a tripling of nuclear generation worldwide uh, by 2050. Which, as you'll hear, you know, uh, laid out, you know, in a little while, both in the videos and by our other speakers, is completely infeasible and ridiculous. And we cannot continue to base climate action, climate justice, climate policy, and energy policy on the on the false promises of the nuclear industry. So, with that, I'll hand it back to Sana. Thanks, Tim. That was a really good overview. And great to hear that update as well from only the last few days. So what we'll do now, I just was going to ask Mia if you wanted to add anything to that. Mia Pepe is part of the Don't Nuke the Climate crew and a great driver and has worked a lot to get these videos together. So I was just wondering if Mia wanted to add anything to that. Thanks, Tim, for that overview. That was fantastic. Not really much to add, just, yeah, that we've created these videos that explains small modular reactors and why nuclear is no solution to climate change. So please, we'll share the links. And um, if you can share those really far and wide, especially with people that are working on climate-related issues, we just feel that the forefront of this debate is really with the climate movement. And um, so we really made these videos to help make nuclear issues more accessible to people that are working on climate issues so that they feel more um, enabled to speak and, and combat some of the rhetoric that we're hearing from the nuclear industry in the climate space. So please share these with people that you know that are working on climate issues and get as informed as you can to be able to, to speak back to what is not a solution but a dangerous distraction. Thanks. So I'm just going to show the videos. They're very short. They're less than three minutes each so that we all know what we're talking about. Nuclear power is expensive, slow, dirty and dangerous. It is a serious risk, not a climate solution. In fact, with growing climatic and political instability, nuclear is becoming even more dangerous. 
Nuclear power's contribution to global energy has been in decline since its peak in 1996, while renewable energy continues to grow. Renewables now generate three times more power than nuclear reactors, and they will generate four times as much by 2027. The cost of nuclear power has been increasing, while the price of renewables is coming down. Nuclear power is far more expensive than renewables, even when the costs of energy storage and transmission are factored in. Renewables are quicker, cheaper and cleaner. Unlike renewable energy, nuclear power poses unique risks. Nuclear power provides the fuel for nuclear weapons, which could cause devastating global destruction. We are as close to nuclear war now as we were during the Cold War. Five of the nine countries that have produced nuclear weapons did so under the cover of a peaceful nuclear power program. Nuclear power plants are pre-deployed terrorist or military targets. There is a long history of nuclear plants being attacked. This has been seen most recently with Russia's attack and control of the Zafariza nuclear power plant in Ukraine. When things go wrong at a nuclear power plant, things go really wrong. Over half a million people were evacuated after the Chernobyl and Fukushima nuclear power disasters. Many of these evacuees will never go home. Many people lost their lives, while others have suffered intergenerational health impacts. Along with the profound human and environmental impacts, the Chernobyl and Fukushima disasters have had an economic cost of hundreds of billions of dollars. Nuclear power produces long-lived nuclear waste. This remains radioactive for up to hundreds of thousands of years and is forever a burden for future generations. No country has an operating high-level waste repository and there is no evidence that this waste can be safely managed over timeframes that are needed. Investing in nuclear power now would divert resources from using cheaper, faster and safer energy options and would lock us into a technology which is slow, expensive, dangerous, dirty and poses unique risks. Our clean energy future is renewable, not radioactive. You may have heard about small modular nuclear reactors or SMRs. Nuclear supporters are promoting these as a climate solution. But they don't exist now and they won't exist in time to make any difference in the face of climate change. Any future electricity from SMRs would be even more expensive than that from large reactors. And SMRs would pose all the same problems and risks as large reactors. The modular concept is that SMRs would be made up of factory-produced reactor components. But SMRs don't currently exist, nor do the factories that would produce them. No SMR is in commercial deployment anywhere in the world. Experts acknowledge that energy from any future SMRs would be even more expensive than power from large nuclear reactors, and this is already much more expensive than renewable energy. But the push for SMRs is not just about energy. Nuclear power companies and promoters argue that SMRs are necessary to retain and build the skills needed for nuclear weapons programs. SMRs could also be used for powering fossil fuel extraction, a Russian floating nuclear plant already powers Arctic fossil fuel mining. China plans to use floating nuclear power plants for oil and gas extraction. And in Canada, there is talk of using SMRs to extract hydrocarbons from tar sands. SMRs do not even exist in commercial operation, 
but they are by far the most expensive energy option. They will produce high-level nuclear waste and pose a risk of catastrophic nuclear accidents. Clean energy options like energy efficiency and storage and renewables are cheap, quick, safe, popular and proven. Our energy future is renewable, not radioactive. You're tuned to The Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria, on unceded lands of the Kulin Nation and broadcast across the continent thanks to the Community Radio Network. We just heard from Tim Judson, Mia Pepper and Sana Deswat speaking at Don't Nuke the Climate's launch event for two short videos that they're hoping to circulate far and wide and raise awareness of the reality of nuclear and climate change and small modular reactors in the lead-up to the COP28 Climate Change Conference in Dubai. To access the videos and circulate them widely, please go to don't-nuke-the-climate.com Now we'll hear from Ryoko Koze. Ryoko used to live uh, around Fukushima when the uh, Fukushima disaster happened and we are so privileged to have Ryoko with us to share a little bit about her experience living close to a nuclear power plant accident. So thank you Ryoko, welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. And then in opening this talk, I would like to acknowledge the people of the clean nations on whose unceded lands I have evacuated to, and also acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I am living safely with my family and speaking now. I pay my respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. And I am Ryoko Kose, a transnational voluntary evacuee from the Fukushima nuclear accident. And then I just wanted to say that I lived in Tokyo when the accident happened, but still in Tokyo, we had severe radiation exposure many times. And then I wanted to share my story. And then I will read my script this time as I'm still coping my trauma related to the disaster. So yeah, sorry about that. So today is the 5th of November 2023, marking 4,620 days since Japan declared a state of nuclear emergency. The accident is currently ongoing more than 12 years after the accident because the solution of settled unstable reactors done has not been found. The explosion of Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant has not only affected Fukushima, but most of eastern Japan. Both the land and the people of the, these areas have been widely irradiated. And I lived in Tokyo when the disaster started, and I have several big radiation exposure there in the first year of the accident. Radiation has been distributed all over the world, especially in the area near Fukushima, such as Tokyo, where the fallout of radioactive materials is still constantly observed every month since the accident. Soon after the accident, I took precautions to avoid consuming contaminated food and water, but was 
were aware that the air and surrounding areas were highly contaminated with radiation. During the initial two or three months, I faced symptoms like incessant eye discharge resembling clear gel, persistent coughing and film, disrupting sleep, and a dense clotted mass during my first menstrual cycle post the accident. Around five months after the incident, I found myself bedridden, experiencing extreme fatigue. Although I found it peculiar, I couldn't resist falling asleep at any time for the next two months. I suspect these are typical symptoms of radiation sickness, blah, blah, disease. And after experiencing various un unexplainable physical issues and discovering my pregnancy in September 2011, I tested the radiation levels in my Tokyo apartment and found them dangerously high. Consequently, my husband and I decided to evacuate to Fukuoka, located in the southwest region of Japan. Upon opening the boxes from our Tokyo apartment in Fukuoka, we realized that our belongings were highly contaminated with radiation, leading to allergic reactions such as irritated skin, nosebleeds, and sinus infections. In Fukuoka, I encountered thousands of evacuees, primarily mother and children, and observed that reactions to people from contaminated areas like Tokyo were common among evacuees. Also, some young children, like six years old, got vaginal infection because of their immunity response. And after a year, I began losing weight significantly, dropping 10 kilo in two months, despite eating five times. But I couldn't find the reason. And then after that, I also diagnosed Hashimoto disease and thyroid enlargement. Thyroid issues are a common symptom for those exposed to radiation. However, internal radiation expo exposure can manifest in various symptoms due to its nature. Around the same time, my former boss residing in Tokyo was, was di diagnosed with leukemia. Simultaneously, my cousin, living in the western part of Japan, gave birth to a baby with a cleft palate. It's a rabbit called so-called rabbit mouth, a common malformation among the second generation of nuclear survivors. Additionally, two close friends in their thirties, part of the same social circle, were diagnosed with brain tumors. What struck me as peculiarly strange was that nobody discussed the possibility that radiation exposure from the Fukushima accident could be potential cause for these health issues. And I faced criticism from my mother when I attempted to discuss these concerns within my extended family. This was likely incorrect. I think uh, an underlying unconscious transgenerational trauma 
and shame linked to the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. The Japanese people were forbidden from sharing their experience of the bombing due to the press code for Japan imposed by the American military GHQ, which occupied and controlled Japan for seven years post-war. So this trauma and shame have made it challenging for us to openly discuss our own experience with nuclear evacuation. In the last I wanted to share this experience. I visited a radiation exposure outpatient clinic for the first time in my life after giving birth to my child, seeking consultation for my symptoms. In Japan, there are specific clinics and hospitals dedicated to Hibakusha. As I entered the waiting room with my newborn baby, there were about 10 people, mostly middle-aged to elderly, awaiting their appointments. They all seemed to gaze at me intensely, making me feel uncomfortable, but I took a seat. Shortly after, an elderly lady seated behind me nervously inquired, is this appointment for the baby? And then I replied, no, it's for myself. And then suddenly the atmosphere in the waiting room visibly shifted to relief. For atomic bombing survivors and their second and third generations, these kind of situations are still very common and real. And personally, I find it challenging to comprehend when individuals strongly reject atomic weapons for the sake of human dignity, yet simultaneously endorse nuclear energy as a positive application. The same substances are utilized, and once radioactivity is released from sealed containers, it becomes uncontrollable, regardless of whether it's in a so-called good container, like a nuclear energy plant, or a bad container, like atomic weapon. Radioactivity operates independently and accurately predicting and measuring its impact on nature once released is difficult. It doesn't behave as expected in controlled laboratory tests. So in sharing my story, I hope to contribute to a broader understanding of the far-reaching consequences of nuclear incidents, urging us to grapple with the complexities surrounding nuclear technologies and aftermath. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ryoko. That was very touching and confronting to hear that from someone who has lived that directly and that we don't often hear from people um, having having gone through this, that personal experience. And, and I understand that this might have been difficult for you. And I really um, yeah, want to thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you. Thank you. So I guess just to recap what, what we've heard today, the reason that Don't Nuke the Climate International, this alliance of different people across the world working for a nuclear-free future have come together as that the voice within the, the last few COPs hasn't, hasn't been, um, like the anti-nuclear voice hasn't been able to be raised as much. We haven't had access. Civil society hasn't had as much access 
to the spaces where these things are being discussed with the nuclear industry and their lobby really have high access to those spaces. And um, so what we thought would be most useful is to make some videos and that make, to make sure that people that are going into um, these spaces have the tools and the information to counter the rhetoric and the spin that these actors are using. Have a look at the website, the Don't Nuke the Climate website as well, for more information. And it would be really great if you could spread these in your networks as much as you can, so that we can assure that there's like a, a nuclear-free voice within COP, because we can't really afford to let the nuclear industry take away a lot of resources that are really needed for solutions that are viable today, that are cost-effective, and that it will ensure that our future generations actually have a livable future. That was Ryoko Kaze speaking at Don't Nuke the Climate's lunch event for their two new short videos and as part of its work to debunk pro-nuclear rhetoric using real-world evidence, Don't Nuke the Climate has previously coordinated a public statement rejecting nuclear power as a climate response and that was supported by around 500 organisations across the world. We'll link to that in the show notes. You can just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive and we'll also put the links for the videos. We'd love you to help us get them out there and cut through the nuclear mythology that we see so often in the mainstream media that's diverting time and energy away from real climate solutions. All of this material is available at the website don't-nuke-the-climate.org. Thanks so much to the Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth Melbourne for sharing the audio of the event and for the ongoing support for the Radioactive Show. You can sign up for the email alerts that will let you know about all these events and actions by going to melbournefoe.org.au forward slash nuclear. The Radioactive Show was produced in the studio of 3CR in Fitzroy, Victoria, on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty has never been ceded. And it's broadcast across the continent, thanks to the Community Radio Network. Thanks so much for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.